So I rarely answer the, the phone in the office at church. And after I tell you this story, you may be like wanting to call a business meeting and decree that I could never answer the phone at church again, or you may decide that we need to hire a, a third administrative assistant or something just to make sure that, you know, there's never a situation where one of them can't answer the phone. So uh, Tuesday of this past week, uh, I think me and Jessica and Lori were the only staff people who were at the office that day, and, uh, you know, obviously... Uh, Lori can't really uh, answer the phone with, with what she does. And the, and the phone rang, and I guess uh, Jessica was tied up, and she couldn't answer it. So eventually, after it rang several times, uh, I answered it. And there was a lady on the phone, and she was extremely soft-spoken, and she was hard to hear. But she said that uh, she was from Scott Recycling. And uh, she said that she was asking if we had any electronic waste that needs to be picked up. Except between the combination of um, having trouble understanding what she was saying and the fact that I've never heard of electronic waste before, I was a little bit confused. Um, and, and so I'm like, electronic waste? What's, are you saying electronic waste? What, what's electronic? How do electronics have waste? I, I don't understand this. And I'm thinking, is she talking about uh, the dumpster back in the back that they pick up, uh, you know, an empty that I'm not uh, catching what she's saying? It's like, did you say electronic waste? I, I think I said this at some point in the conversation. And like, again, I was just thoroughly confused. I'm trying to figure it out. And at some point I'm thinking, I, I'm, in my mind I think I'm confusing electronic and digital. I'm thinking there's a lot of waste on the internet, but I, I, like, like how do you pick it up? I, I'm, I'm, I'm thoroughly confused here. And um, so at, at, you may be like, what does this have to do with anything? Well, the scripture that we're going to look at this morning is talking about contentment and generosity. And so you may be thinking, like, uh, you don't know what my bank account looks like. How can I be content and how can I be generous? You may be as confused at the beginning as uh, I was in this phone call. Or you may be thinking, well, I don't have this. Look at what they have. How am I supposed to be uh, content? You may be like, well, you don't know how tough times are right now. Have you seen inflation? Have you gotten gas? How am I really supposed to be content and, and how am I uh, supposed to be generous? Well, as this phone call went along, um, finally I just kind of came to the point. It's like um, I'm old. I don't usually, I mean, I guess sometimes I try to fake it. But at this point, if I'm clueless, I don't care if you know I'm clueless. And, and so I just finally said, could you explain to me what electronic waste is? I mean, now apparently this is something that this company's been here and picked up stuff before. I don't know anything. Remember what you learned in the membership class? Ask Jessica. Ask Andy. Again, I should never ask the, answer the phone. But I just wonder, what's electronic waste? And she said, well, it's like we, we come and pick up uh, old printers and copiers and that kind of thing. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that makes sense. And, and so, you know, it all clicked then. Well, in this text we're going to read today, Paul tells us he learned something. And actually, 
one of the words he used for learn in the Greek literally means he learned a secret or he discovered uh, a, a mystery. He understood a, a mystery. So I'm hoping for you today, as we look in this text, that you're going to learn a secret, that you're going to discover something, that something's going to click, that you're going to have an aha moment uh, like I did, and learn what the secret is to being content and being generous. And really, here's what the secret is in, in, in a nutshell that we're going to look at in this text this morning. It is that we can be content and we can be generous because Jesus is enough. We can be content and we can be generous because Jesus is enough. First of all, in verses 10 through 13, let's see that we can be content because Jesus gives us strength. We can be content because Jesus gives us strength. In verse 10, he says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. So here's Paul once again uh, commending them. Here's Paul once again. I mean, you can just see uh, the love and the affection and, and the friendship that he has with this church. You know, in some of Paul's letters, even in churches that he started, he's basically rebuking them. He's correcting them. But, but in Philippians, he's commending them. And so you see Paul, and remember, he's writing from prison. Uh, I mean, remember that as we read what he says in the next few verses. But, but he's saying here, you know, you've helped me in the past. You've wanted to even more. The opportunity hasn't been there. You haven't been able to. But now there's been an opportunity, and you've ministered to me. You've taken care of me. You've met my financial needs Again, so he says, uh, you know, this about them caring, but then he says in verse 11, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content, for I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. Need. In other words, he, he, he's saying that I'm content. Learn how to be content when I have more than enough. I, I learn how to be content when I'm lacking. So, you know, the issue here is not the state of my heart, but I'm thankful that you were still good to me. And then he follows up and he says, probably one of the most well known verses in the Bible, along with verse 19. Also along with verse 19, probably two of the most misused, misunderstood verses in the Bible as well. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, you know, what does this verse actually mean? Well, notice he uses the phrase, all things. And notice he used the phrase, all things, in verse 12. So, I have to think that the all things in verse 13 is the same as the all things in verse 12. Does that not make sense contextually? And so what are the all things that he's referring to in verse 12? Well, he says, in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer 
need. So he's basically saying that the all things here is in Christ and the strength that he, the strength that he gives me, I can be content. I can be okay. When I have more than enough, I can be okay. When I don't have enough, apparently what we need sometimes is maybe to lack and, and, and to trust the Lord and find Christ's strength even in that. He's going to take care of us. Now, some Bible commentators would argue that all things uh, refers to just anything that's in the will of God. And, and that's probably true when you look at the totality of Scripture. But in the immediate context here, it's referring back to verse 12. It's referring to uh, contentment. And, and, and so, uh, you know, sometimes you'll see maybe an athlete put this on their helmet or on their shoes or something like that. And, and while I appreciate uh, their reliance on Christ in all things, their desire to be a witness uh, to him in, in, in all things, you know, this verse is not saying that Jesus is going to help me tackle somebody well. Uh, you know, this verse is not saying that through Christ I can dunk a basketball or I can make a three-pointer or, or that kind of thing. It's, it's talking about contentment. Now, when we talk about being content, what are we actually talking about? But to be content is to be internally satisfied. Kenneth Wiest has written, The word content is the translation of a Greek word used by the Stoic school of philosophy which taught that man should be sufficient to himself for all things. It means to be independent of external circumstances. It speaks of self-sufficiency and competency. In other words, it means that who we are and how we think and how we live is not based on what's going on around us. It's coming from inside of us. Now, let me give you an example of this. You remember the movie Cool Runnings? Okay, loosely based on the story of the first Jamaican bobsled team to go to the Olympics. Jamaican bobsled team. That just sounds like an oxymoron just when you say it, right? Um, but John Candy played their coach. He was a former uh, bobsled world record holder. He won two gold medals in the 1968 Olympics and then two more in 1972. However, he was later disqualified and stripped of, his, of the 1972 medals for cheating. And so one of the young men on his team Ask him about that. And so that's kind of the setup to this clip. Let's watch this clip. You're not enough without it. 
you'll never be enough with it. That's, I think, in a nutshell, expresses the, the idea of contentment. It's, it's the myth of more. You know, if we're like, if I just had this, or I accomplished this, or I could do this, or I had this relationship, then I'd be happy, then I'd be fulfilled, then I'd be satisfied. We're looking for fulfillment and satisfaction in the wrong places. We're looking for it in external things. Uh, you know, there's a sense in which contentment is wanting what we have. Uh, there's a sense in which contentment is wanting what God wants for us. Uh, last week I gave uh, an example of kind of struggling with anxiety during um, the kind of the last COVID spike. And, uh, you know, in, in all honesty, I think what really the issue was there, it wasn't so much about me trusting God, because I believe God's in control. I believe he could eliminate COVID today if he wanted to, so he has some purposes that he's uh, using it for. What my issue was is I wanted something different than apparently God wanted at that moment. I, I was kind of trying to be God, and I'm thinking it ought to be this way, and as long as we think things are, ought to be some way outside of what God thinks, we're never going to be content on the inside. And that's going to drive anxiety and those kind of things. I think that's something to think about when we think about contentment and discontentment. But also, I think we need to understand that discontentment often comes from comparison. It comes from comparison. You realize comparison is spiritually toxic? It's never going to lead anywhere good. Because it can only lead one of two places. We can compare ourselves to other people and think we're better than them or have more than them or, or doing uh, things the right way and they're not or, or whatever. And, and it's going to lead to pride. Or we can compare ourselves to people and think we don't measure up, we don't have what, we have, what they have, we're not as good as they are, and it's going to lead to insecurity or, or self-condemnation. Either way, it's toxic. It, contentment is about being thankful for what God has given us. Do you understand that the contentment goes beyond money? You can struggle with being discontent in ways other than financially. For me, I'm not real financially motivated. God's taking good care of us. The church is taking good care of us. And I'm just not real materialistic. But there's other ways that I can struggle. See, sometimes it's not about money. It can be about position. It can be about being known. I mean, I, I've struggled in my life with like comparing myself to other pastors or with wanting to have a bigger ministry, things like that, uh, which can lead to discontentment. So it, it's more than, than just about money. The same, on the same side, I think there can be a shadow side of this. Remember, we fall in the ditch on either side of the road, so I'm pretty financially content, but at times I, I've fallen in the ditch on the other side of the road because I'm not real materialistic. I've not always been the best steward or led my family the best, and, and sometimes have not made good financial decisions because I was probably just too complacent about finances. 
So it, it can kind of manifest itself in, in, in some different ways. So there's a sense, even as we talk about contentment, remember, Paul said earlier in Philippians that we're to press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So even if we're content with what we have, we're not to be content with who we are, and we're to be pressing forward to become more like Christ, to honor him, honor him more, to steward our lives better, to accomplish more for the glory of God, even while we're content and thankful for the blessings that God has given us. Now, we need to talk about this because... Um, you know, in giving you Weiss' definition, it's kind of talking about the background or the meaning of the word. But the text is very clear. The, con- the key to contentment is not ultimately within us, but it's in Jesus. Weiss continues his writing by saying that Paul's self-sufficiency was not of the Stoic kind. It was Christ's sufficiency. Paul's independence was not Stoic independence, but dependence upon Christ. He found his sufficiency in Christ. He was independent of circumstances because he was dependent upon Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can abound or be abased because of Christ who strengthens me. I can be hungry or I can be full because of Christ who who strengthens me. I can be content because Jesus strengthens me. I can be content because Jesus is enough. He's my satisfaction. He's my fulfillment. He's the bread of life. He's the living water. He's the one who fills me up on the inside. So, if we claim to be a Christian, I think we need to ask ourselves this question is, am I truly finding my satisfaction in Christ, or if I'm honest, am I looking forward to other things? And if you're not a Christian, where are you trying to find satisfaction? Where are you trying to find fulfillment? And how's that working out? Watch this uh, video clearly. It's a skit guy's video, but I think it makes this point very well. Oh, 
That's what I wanted you to see. I don't care. Until you can look past this, all you're going to see. So is there a focus on the gifts or the giver of the gifts? Is there a focus on what we have or what we don't have? Or is on, is on the one who gave his all for us? Billy Graham, near the end of his autobiography, Just As I Am, wrote this. He says, some years ago, Ruth and I had a vivid illustration of this on an island in the Caribbean. One of the wealthiest men in the world had asked us to come to his lavish home for lunch. He was 75 years old, and throughout the entire meal, he seemed close to tears. He said, I am the most miserable man in the world. Out there is my yacht. I can go anywhere I want to. I have my private plane, my helicopters. I have everything I want to make my life happy, and I'm completely miserable. We talked to him and prayed with him, trying to point him to Christ, who alone gives lasting meaning to life. Then we drove down the hill to a small cottage where we were staying. That afternoon, the pastor of a local Baptist church came to call. He was an Englishman, and he too was 75, a widower, a widower, widower who spent most of his time taking care of his two invalid sisters. He was full of enthusiasm and love for Christ and others. He said, I don't have two pounds to my name, he said with a smile, but I'm the happiest man in the world. And Billy asked his wife, Ruth, who's richer? He said, we didn't have to answer. It was obvious. Our riches are ultimately in Christ. Are we relying on him? Are we looking to him? Are we finding our strength in him? And then are we praising him and being thankful and, and, and worshiping him for what he does for us? You know, do, do we... Express gratitude or just take it for granted. You know, one of our men who has a pastoral background uh, said to me after our, our, our annual congregational meeting Wednesday night, uh, you know, it, it's not like this in most churches where there's unity and harmony and love and, and, and laughter when you have a business meeting. And you know what? He's exactly right. And I just spent some time praising and, and thanking God for that. But it's easy to take for granted. One, one night this past week, I was at the gym, and sometimes I go to the community center, sometimes I go to the gym at Manly. The gym at Manly, uh, like the locker room, there's like bathroom, locker room, uh, showers as you go back, and I'm in the locker room changing, and then it was coming out, and there was a little kid, I guess, who had been in the bathroom, and, and the door, like you push it uh, to uh, go in, you pull it to, to go out, it's kind of heavy, a little kid could barely reach the handle, and it, but he was grabbing it, he was trying to open it, but it was very obvious that he wasn't going to be able uh, to, to open the door, and so uh, I reached over him, opened the door for him, he runs out, as he's running out, he says something uh, that I couldn't 100% for sure make out, uh, but I think what he said was, I can do it. And I'm thinking, yeah, you ungrateful little kid, uh, because I just did it for you. And isn't that how we are with the Lord a lot of times? It's like, I can do it. He's gracious. He does it for us. And it's like, oh, I did it all along. Are we finding our strength in Christ? 
Are we looking to ourselves? Do we believe Jesus is enough? He's saying here that we can be content because our strength is in Christ. But he's saying second, then, in verses 14 through 20, we can be generous because Jesus meets our needs. We can be generous because Jesus meets our needs. Uh, Look at what he says here. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Now, you Philippians know that also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's go back to verse 19 for a minute. Uh, again, probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. I think one of the you know, most misused verses. Uh, is verse 19 saying that it's like you've got a blank check with God. You know, that whatever it is, whatever the need is, whatever you want, you know, just tell God and claim this promise, and boom, you got it, and it's yours. Well, first of all, he, he says, need, not want. And it would seem to me, based on what Paul said earlier, based on the fact sometimes he was hungry, sometimes he was abased instead of abounding, sometimes maybe our need is to not have it all and just have to totally depend on the Lord. But at the end of the day, I believe God does meet our needs in Jesus Christ. Spiritually, our needs are met as soon as we're saved because we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It's just a question of through faith and prayer and obedience, are we going to appropriate the provision that he's already made? Because he's given us everything that pertains to life and godliness is what Scripture says. We have everything we need to be and do everything that he wants us to be and do. Are we going to use it? He says in Matthew 6.33 that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that all of these other things, meaning talking about the basic needs of life, are going to be added unto us. He meets our needs materially, spiritually. They're met in Christ. Are we going to appropriate his provision to? Uh, though? And, and, but notice what he says also. He says, according to his riches. That's a great phrase. Out of would mean we're taking from, but according to means he provides without it ever diminishing what he has to offer. And so do we trust him to meet our needs? If we do, we can be generous. That's, that's the context, really, uh, of this promise. I think it's a conditional promise. They were being generous. They were meeting Paul's needs. They were taking care uh, of him. Maybe they were sacrificing in, in, in doing it. Maybe they're creating some, some need for themselves. And Paul says, my God is going to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
Some of us have never actually really uh, supernaturally experienced God's provision because we've never done anything sacrificial enough that created a need for it. Now, so let, let's talk about generosity. So let me say a couple of things just to set this up, okay? Uh, so I know sometimes we don't talk about this enough. Sometimes I'll have new people ask me, like, how do you give? Where, where do I put my check? So my apologies for us not communicating that en enough. Um, so, but do believe giving is very important, like we talk about in the membership class, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, it's, it's a basic part of Christian uh, stewardship. Uh, but Christian stewardship. So if you're not a Christian, we don't want you to give. Uh, we're not asking for anything from you. We want you. We want to help you give your life to Jesus. That, that's why we're here. So if you're not a Christian, uh, don't, don't give money, uh, okay? Or if you just completely feel compelled to understand you can't buy your salvation, so no, you're just helping a church. So uh, Now, uh, the other thing sometimes when you talk about giving, people are like, well, you know, what's, what's the angle? What's the need? What's the problem? What's the issue here? I don't get a bonus if the, if the giving goes up, so there's nothing like that. Uh, we're, not, we're not in, in any uh, you know, financial difficulties or straits or anything like that. Praise God. Thank you for your generosity. We've had an amazing year financially, so uh, you know, it's, it's nothing like that. Uh, you know, although with the opportunities we have, with like missions and Lottie Moon and uh, needing to build a bigger building at some point in the future just because we're doing well doesn't mean that, that we don't need to keep doing better in the future. But I'm just preaching this because we're going through the book of Philippians and it's in the text. And we're just expounding scripture. So when it, when it comes to giving, what I believe, and Christians have uh, different viewpoints on this, is somewhat of a secondary issue. I think when it comes to the amount of our giving, the main issue is Proverbs 3.9 talks about giving the Lord our first fruits. We give God our first and our best, not our leftovers. So if you want to be a faithful giver, first thing you do should be you know, to write a check or to you know, online giving, that kind of thing. That's a given before you do anything else to honor God, to, to recognize him as the source, to be a good steward, to honor him, to praise him, uh, to thank him, to give him first fruits. Now, some Christians believe in grace giving. I still believe in tithing. I believe you see it throughout the all, all of Scripture. And then grace giving is giving beyond a tithe as a gracious response to what God has done for us in Christ. But if you don't believe in tithing, you believe in grace giving, that's great, unless you're just using that as a loophole. Because I don't see any reason under the cross to be less generous than people were in the Old Testament under the law. But, I mean, you follow your convictions on that. But just, uh, again, first fruits, not leftovers. The heart of our giving, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7 says, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God loves a cheerful giver. So part of the reason... Don't uh, you know? Talk about giving a ton is because I just want people to do it as a response to the gospel, out of a cheerful heart, a thankful heart, as an act of worship, not because you're being guilted into it. And, and so that's the idea. But then, in, in the specific text we're in in Philippians chapter four, I want to talk about uh, in closing just kind of what is accomplished or what results from our giving, because I, I see six things. 
that Paul mentions here that we're accomplishing as we give generously. Uh, first, we're sharing in the difficulties of others. Look again at verse 14. He says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. In verse 16, he says, Even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. So, you know, an example of that could be in the last couple of years. Uh, we, uh, during a drought in, in Uganda, you, you gave money so that families could have food. And we saw people, including some Muslims, come to Christ because of the testimony of that generosity. Uh, Luis uh, shared on Wednesday night that uh, over 2,000 bags of food, which is a bag was like enough food uh, to feed a family uh, for a couple of weeks, uh, came out of uh, your generosity, others' generosity, the budget of the Boys and Girls Club when they were shut down when uh, Honduras was locked down during COVID, plus some other things. That's the kind of things uh, that, that he's talking about here. We give, uh, and part of what that giving is going to do is it's going to meet the needs of, of others. We have a line item in our budget that's for benevolence to help people in our congregation and sometimes in the community, community who are in financial difficulties. Second, when we give generously, we are participating in the spread of the gospel. Look again at verse 15. He says, um, no one, he says, sorry, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but only you. Listen, it takes money to do ministry. And that can be, you know, Money that's specifically earmarked for missions, like 16% of our budget is. It can be you know, special offerings like what I just talked about. It can be the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. It could be the fact that as kind of the hub church of a ministry in Honduras, some from True Life, most of it from outside of us, we've wired over $500,000 to Honduras this year for the ministry there. But something I believe, maybe not everybody would agree with me, I think if you're doing church right, there's a sense in which 100% of what you give goes to missions. Because everything ends up contributing to it in, in, in some way. I mean, the money that's going into our children's ministry right now is an investment in reaching people for the gospel, raising up kids. And some of the kids that have been raised up in, in our ministry are now going to be going out as pastors and missionaries and, and, and that kind of thing. It all has to work together. Like the Micronesian Church, we don't give them any financial support, but you pay me a salary, you pay Philip a salary who does a lot of work with them, and, and that's contributing to missions being done. But at, at the the end of the day, when we're talking about you know, what we usually call missions giving, it's for people who've never heard the gospel, places where they're not churches, to hear the gospel and churches to be planted. If you have any questions about why we would be adding to what we're doing in Honduras, consider the David Platt video, the answer to that. I believe the whole church I'm talking about the big C, universal church, has a responsibility to get the gospel to those who have never heard it. Can you imagine somebody hearing about the love of Jesus for the first time? I mean, think about it. What, I want to show you just a little, just a few seconds, short little video clips. A lady, I think she's getting cochlear implants, but she's someone who's deaf, hearing her husband tell her that he loves her for the first time.
mean, can you imagine being in her shoes? But can you imagine somebody around the world? I mean, we take it for granted because a lot of us have heard about it since we were kids, hearing about the love of God and Jesus Christ for the first time. That's why we give to missions. Uh, three, when we, when we give generously, we're making an eternal investment. Paul said in verse 17, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 20, Lay up treasures uh, for yourselves in heaven where neither moss nor rust, uh, neither moss, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and, and, and steal. You know what our real net worth is? It's whatever outlasts our death. Lay up treasures in heaven, not on the earth. Four, we're offering a spiritual sacrifice in response to the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Look at what he says in verse 18. He says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, and an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Now, this phrase, you know, sweet-smelling aroma, acceptable uh, sacrifice. Uh, listen to Ephesians 5, 2. It says, And walk in love as Christ has also loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. In other words, Jesus is our sacrifice who brings about our redemption in response to his sacrifice. How do we live? We live sacrificially. We live sacrificially in our generosity, among other ways. Paul said, Romans 12, 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, uh, that you offer yourselves up as a living sacrifice. What's the response to God's generous grace in the cross? It's us giving graciously as a response to his grace. You know, really where I learned about giving was from my mom. And here's how I learned about it and you know, I'm not, my dad shared his testimony here earlier this year. You know, uh, my parents got divorced. My dad left home uh, when I was a teenager. And one of my dad's issues then before he became a Christian was, was gambling. And he left our family in a bad financial position. But my mom was committed to tithing and giving and giving first fruits. And God honored that and took care of us and provided for us. And, you know, I just saw... God's faithful. But you know what? Since my dad's become a Christian later in life, I guarantee you he is one of the most generous people in this church because when you're really, truly transformed by the grace of God, you want other people to experience that grace, and a manifestation of grace is generosity. Don't tell me you believe in grace if you're not generous. Because they just, grace is always a gift. It's, it's a generous, lavish, undeserved gift. And, and the response to that, again, this is why I don't harp on giving a lot. Because, uh, you know, I, I want you to be in the grace of God. If you're in the grace of God, generosity is going to take care of itself. If you're not walking in grace, that's where we need to start. It's a heart issue. Five, when we give generously, we're acting in faith. What are we doing? We're essentially claiming the promise of Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Again, I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I whack that pinata a lot. It's a heresy. <laughs> we, we don't give to get. Okay? But I don't want to go so far, uh, you know, trying to whack that heresy 
that I neglect to say that when we give generously, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We don't give to get. I'm not saying we gain from it materially. We gain spiritually, but God takes care of us. We, we had an occasion earlier this year, and I don't share this to say, oh, look at us, because really part, I think part of the reason why we felt convicted to do it is because we really hadn't done something sacrificial like this in a long time. But like a few days before Robin was scheduled to have um, her first surgery last year, and uh, you, know, you know all the medical bills that would come with that, we, we had a friend who was in some dire financial straits, and we just felt convicted by the Lord to take a step of faith and, and to help her, even knowing what was coming for us in the next few days. And um, so, so we did, and a few days after that, somebody showed up on, uh, at our door early in the morning while we were getting ready to work with a check. We hadn't told anybody about it, the exact same amount that we had given at this other person. And, and, and again, I'm not saying give to get. I mean, we didn't gain anything financially out of that when it was all said and done. But I've seen uh, God do things like that time after time after time after time in our lives. He meets our needs, but we have to act in faith. We have to kind of put ourselves out there where Jesus has to be our strength and he has to be our need meter. If we're just in our own little comfort zone doing our little American dream thing and we've got our budget and everything's got to add up and we've got to have this and we've got to have that, we're never going to experience everything that God has to offer us. And then last, when we give generously, we're glorifying God. Verse 20, now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's an act of worship. It's an act of love. It's an act of thanksgiving. It's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 16, to store up something that you may have it on the first day of each week. That's why we give. It's part of worshiping God. So he's saying that we can be content because Jesus is our strength. We can be generous because Jesus meets our needs. And then he wraps up the whole book. Here's kind of the conclusion starting in verse 21. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And there's this phrase that he uses throughout the New Testament, in Christ Jesus, in union with Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. So in other words, he's saying that if you are in Christ and you've experienced the grace of God, that Jesus is enough. He's enough for you to be content. He's enough for you uh, to be generous. And so if we, if we know Jesus, let's look past what we have and look to who gives it. Let's trust him enough to be thankful for what he's given us and to be content in, in what he's given us and to be content and, and satisfied and fulfilled in who he is because he's the bread of life and he's the living water. And let's give generously out of that faith to bless others and to share the gospel so more people uh, could meet him and more people could know him and churches could be planted and lives uh, can be changed. If you're not a Christian, you ain't got to need your money. You can't buy him off. But you need him. You see, he's created us for a relationship with him. And until we know him, we're empty on the inside. Something's missing. You're not going to have true contentment and satisfaction. You're going to be hungry until the bread of life feeds you. You're going to be thirsty until the living water fills you. 
He loves you. Jesus died for you. He rose from the dead, and now he commands you to repent and trust him. Confess him as your Lord. Entrust your life to him. Find your hope and your strength and your life in him. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes if we could.